experience his love for you tonight. So we pray that that would happen. If you're back with us, thanks for coming back. We're glad you're here. So tonight we're doing something that we hardly do here at Chi Alpha, and that is preaching a standalone sermon. So it's a sermon that is not tied to a series. Uh, it just so happens uh, that we were going to have guest speaker this week. He got pushed back two weeks. So I'm doing a standalone tonight, and it's perfect because we've got some big news to share with you, so it gives me a chance to do that. So for those of you who did not know, I attended UNI during my freshman and sophomore years of college. So this is back in 2011 through 2013, and I helped start Chi Alpha on the campus as a student. There was like 10 of us, 15 of us, and I helped uh, get it going. But then after my sophomore year, I felt called to go to Bible college and, and pursue ministry training. So uh, my wife Emily and I left for two years and, and pursued that. And then that first semester that uh, we were away from Iowa was really hard. And I know that Iowa's getting a bad rap right now because of the caucuses or whatever happened last night uh, with the votes and stuff. But I love Iowa and I missed it a lot. I can remember that first semester just like dreaming of being able to come back to you and I and be with my Chi Alpha family. And it was during that semester that uh, the school that I was at put on a church planning conference. And, and that was during our chapel services. So every day we had a service like this at school. So imagine having Chi Alpha every day. So we had a church planning conference in the middle of the week. And they brought in these church planters. If you don't know what church planting is, church planting is the art of starting new churches. Okay, So if you didn't know that, it's kind of a weird word. So church planters came in, and they talked about how God used them to plant life-giving, dynamic, healthy churches in their community. And I got to say, as they shared, my heart burned within me. And I thought, I want to be like those guys. And they shared statistics like the fact that back in 1900, and there's a slide for this, so if you want to throw the slide up here. Back in 1900, there were 28 churches for every 10,000 Americans. Okay, And you can see the progression here. And in 2011, there's only 11 churches for every 10,000 Americans. And yeah, so over the last 100 years, the amount of churches increased by just 50%, but the population has grown by 400%. Okay, so churches are not keeping up with the population growth. And you wonder why the church in America seems to be declining. We're not keeping up with the population growth. So the church has been playing defense for 100 years, and we're trying to hold down the fort, but the Lord is looking for pioneers who are willing to start brand new churches and play offense and kick down the gates of hell. He's looking for those people. He, he's looking for people who will rise up and say, hey, I want the Lord to do a new thing in my generation. I'm not going to rely upon my forefathers who, who built the church 100 years ago, but instead I'm going to count the cost and sacrifice to, or to take new ground for the kingdom. And and they also shared how new churches are more effective at, at winning unchurched people to Jesus. So unchurched people are people who haven't been in church, okay? And for some reason, unchurched people seem to be more open to going to a new church. Maybe it's the fact that they feel like, hey, they can get in the club. I don't know what the reason is, but the point is statistics show that unchurched people come to Christ in more numbers in church plants than they do in church, or churches that have existed for a while. So... I thought that sounded amazing, but honestly, I thought I could never do that, okay? Move to a city where you don't know people and just try to start a brand new church. That does not sound like my personality, okay? When I was a kid, I wouldn't even sell candy bars for fundraisers because I was scared to talk to people. So I'm like, that sounds cool, but I don't want to do it because I don't think I could. And after one of the messages, they had this time called altar time. If you've been in church at all, uh, there's time sometimes where... Preachers will call people up to the front, and they'll kind of knee at the altar here. And they called people up, and I went up there before the Lord and just began to pray and, and seek his face. And, and the Lord spoke very clearly to me. He spoke to me and said that there is a reason why I missed Iowa so much. I was called there, and I was called specifically to plant churches there. That's what the Lord told me as a 20-year-old, newly married chump. But... Uh, <laughs> And he told me something, too. I think he told I mean, at least, guys, I didn't hear, like, I'm going, Daniel, okay? This is in my heart. I'm feeling these things. I, I sense that he was saying that he wanted to do a new thing in Iowa, and he wanted to use me to help, or to help make it happen. Not that I would be the only one to do it. And meanwhile, I got involved with Chi Alpha at the University of Minnesota. I became an intern with that team there, kept doing campus ministry, and through that, God opened a door after I graduated college to come back here in 2015 and to lead Chi Alpha. So Chi Alpha had grown, but then... 
during the time I was away, uh, the pastor had left and there was no new pastor and it kind of had dwindled down to 10 students. And so I came back in 2015. I actually preached my first message as the director on, on February 12th of 2015, so a similar time of the year. I came in and, and began to cast vision and say that God wanted to do a brand new thing at UNI through Chi Alpha. He wanted to reach people. And it's been cool just over the last five years as we've seen Chi Alpha become a really, I think, healthy expression of the kingdom of God on the campus. Obviously, I'm biased because I lead it, but I think this is a great place, okay? I think this is a good place to be. I've you know, gotten to witness so many people come to know Jesus through this ministry. The greatest privilege of my life has been baptizing the 88 students that we've baptized over the last five years. So that's the greatest privilege of my life. There's nothing better than that. Some of you I've gotten to baptize. Um, yes, so where was I at? <laughs> so doing Chi Alpha has always made sense to me because if you want to plant churches, you've got to make disciples. Okay, you can't just like plant a church or start a church and think, okay, great, it's a church. No, if you, if you make disciples, you're always going to get a church, but if you you know, start a church, you might not always get disciples, okay? That's the idea, and, and I believe that through this, we could send students out to go plant churches. That was kind of the heart, and I thought I would be a part of it at some point, but I didn't know what that would look like, and uh, so it's always made sense with my calling to do Chi Alpha. Um, yeah, but then last June, so June of 2019, I was meeting with a pastor, and this pastor is actually the pastor who, who pastors my parents' church down in Coralville, and I started going there when I was a junior in high school, so I didn't go there for a long time, but a great mentor of mine, and, and he planted his church 15 years ago. And the church, when uh, my parents started going there, was 70 people meeting in a gym. We'd set up our own chair. Like, what's up with that? You shouldn't have to set up your own chair at church. It'd be like a metal chair, too, not even a comfy one. I remember thinking, this is stupid. Why are we going to this church? But uh, so anyways, we'd set up our own chair and tear it down afterwards. There's 70 people. But now that church has 900 people in the church. They give away $350,000 every year to missions. It's an incredible church, okay? So I'm talking with him about my desire to plant churches, but also my calling to the Cedar Valley. And I'm like, I don't want to leave Chi Alpha. I don't want to leave the Cedar Valley. I feel called here. Uh, but I also feel called to plant a church. And it's weird because I didn't really make the connection, but he's like, why don't you plant a church there? I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe that's just too easy. I don't know. But uh, so he was the first one who really ever spoke that over me. It's the first time I really believed in my heart. Okay, if he's saying that I could plant a church, maybe I could actually do this. So I began to pray, and from June to September, I would try to fast on most Mondays. I skipped some Mondays, I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, I'd fast and pray about this, and, and I asked the Lord to speak to me through people who operate in the prophetic, which just means that they uh, can kind of hear, like, a message from God and deliver it to you, like, even if they don't know about the situation, and I asked him to confirm it in a number of other ways, and, and the Lord did everything I asked him to do, and he showed me clearly that I was called to plant a church in the Cedar Valley. And I, and I really decided that in October. I, I said, okay, Lord, I'm in on this. This is going to be a crazy road, but I'm in on this. So, yeah, so in October, I jumped headfirst into this idea of planting a church in the Cedar Valley. And I tell you, if you want to invite spiritual warfare, plant, or tell Jesus you'll plant a church, because Satan hates church plants. Right? Satan does not want Jesus to take more ground in a community. And church plants, they take ground for the kingdom of God. And it's been a trying few months, but also I've seen God move more in the last few months than I ever have in my whole life. Because he's like, if you're willing to plant a church, if you're willing to take new ground for the kingdom, I'm going to move through that. Because it takes a lot of faith, you know. Who knows who will go to this church? Who knows where the money's going to come from? All these practical things. There's so much faith that's required to plant a church. But, but two weeks ago, we were finally approved by our leadership in the Iowa Ministry Network, which is our network of churches. And I'm excited to announce to you all officially that in September of 2020, we're planning a church called Scent Church, okay? So come on. So I'm sure you have some questions. You know, what does this look like for Chi Alpha? Is it just gonna be college students? Which is fair. I've been asking that question, Lord, please. We need some old people. Uh, there's no church planner who prays for old people, but I've been praying like hard, like God help me to have an anointing with the elderly in Cedar Valley, in the Cedar Valley. So uh, I can't just, you know, like with you guys, usually I just kind of fist pump you during like the greeting time. Yeah, what's up, dog? I can't do that anymore. I got to be more official. But anyway, so, you know, you have questions like what role are you going to play in this? 
Or do you have to play a role in it if you're in Chi Alpha? Which the answer is no to that. You don't have to go to this church plant. You can be part of Chi Alpha and not be part of the church. It's totally okay. But uh, tonight what I want to do, though, is use Scripture to kind of guide us as we begin to explore this idea of planting a church. So just a few days after I met with that pastor down in Coralville, I was reading my Bible reading plan. I always just go through the Bible in a year. And I came to John chapter 20. And in John 20, 21, Jesus says this. He says, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. And that's where I got the idea of sent church. Okay, right in that moment, the Lord, I could never think of a church name back in the day. Like whenever a church was just a theory to me, I could not think of a name. But as soon as I you know, got the idea to plant this church, all of a sudden the Lord just gave me the name, like within days. And I just knew that's what it was supposed to be called. And he also gave me this tagline called, for the one, for the city, for the world. He said, Daniel, I want you to plant a church that does not exist for itself, but exists for the one in your community who's lost and desperately needs Jesus. For the city, who I don't know, I don't know if you guys know this, but Waterloo desperately needs a move of God. So does Cedar Falls, but every kid in the Waterloo school program is on a free lunch. Okay, the church needs to be the church, and there, our church is being the church in Waterloo, but I believe we're called to be a part of that too, right? For the city, push back darkness in Waterloo, in Cedar Falls, and also for the world. So my prayer for this church is that it would be a missions-giving church, that our church would give so much money away every single year to missionaries who are going around the world, but also that God would use this church to raise up missionaries, and to raise up laborers. I'm believing that there's going to be children who come into our church because their parent brings them, and they grow up in our church, and they become missionaries after they graduate high school. I'm believing for that. I'm believing that it's going to be a church that exists for the one, for the city, for the world, not for us. It's not about us, right? Instead, it's about the world outside the walls of the church. I'm believing that. In Chi Alpha, I'm hoping we can be that at Chi Alpha as well. So Matthew 9 says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching their in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. <clears throat> and then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This passage is my favorite passage in all of scripture, and it captures our heart. Jesus loved to teach people about the kingdom. He loved to proclaim the good news, the gospel. He loved to heal people. But, but when he saw the crowds, his heart broke. His heart burned within him. He was filled with compassion because the crowds were helpless. They were harassed. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherd in the New Testament is the same word for pastor. So essentially what Jesus is saying is there's a bunch of people who just need a pastor. And that doesn't have to be people who have the title of pastor. That could be you. You could be a shepherd. But Jesus is saying, I need more laborers to go into the harvest field. I need them. I need people to rise up and say that I'm willing to go and shepherd other people. And he prayed in that moment. He said, send out laborers into the harvest field. He's praying for that. So that's the heart of this church. We want to be a church that raises up laborers. We want to be a Chi Alpha Campus ministry that raises up laborers. We want to be an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed so many years ago when he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. And I got news for you. Jesus is calling you to be a laborer. I don't care if you're part of that church or not, but Jesus is calling you to be a laborer. He has placed you here at the University of Northern Iowa for a reason. He said, I want you to be my laborer. There are sheep out there that are harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And I put you in Ryder Hall so you could go and shepherd them. I put you in Norm because there are people who need a shepherd. So who's going to rise up? That's what Jesus is asking us tonight. Jesus is looking for people to be his sent ones, to be his shepherds, and to go out into the harvest field and take care of his lost sheep. All right, if you guys would turn with me to John 20. I want to take a look at the verse that's inspired this church. Verses 19 through 23 is where we're going to be. And before we read the text, it's important to know that Jesus had just been crucified. Okay, he had been killed, he had been brutally killed on a cross, he had been put in a grave, and then he rose from the dead. And in this passage, he appears to his disciples for the first time, and they can hardly believe what they're seeing. The man who they followed for three years, who was turning the world upside down, who was brutally killed, who had been in the grave, was now alive. 
They're like, what is going on here? And they're wondering, what do we do now? This man just defeated death. What do we do? And this is what Jesus says. On the evening of the first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came. So essentially he came through a wall. Okay, it's like, it's weird stuff going on. All right, he came and he stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So he pun- or Jesus comes through a wall and then says, peace be with you. I, I don't get that. But anyways, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, seriously, peace be with you. It's okay. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you, will, if you withhold the forgiveness from any, then it is withheld. All right, let's pray. And then we're going to kind of unpack this text as we talk about this church in the future. All right, Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for every student here. I believe that you've placed them in this room for this moment, Jesus. I believe you have a purpose for tonight. I believe that tonight is a night that is going to be written down in history, God, as you inspire us to be your sent ones, no matter where we go, Jesus, and to be your laborers for the kingdom. So God, I pray tonight that you would call us into that, that you would call us not just to hold down the fort, but to kick back the gates of hell, Jesus. I pray that we would play offense and not defense. All right, God, we love you in your name. Amen. All right, so Jesus appears to the disciples. He proclaims peace over them. In the days leading up to this, they're filled with grief and with sorrow at Jesus' death. And then he comes in and he says, replace your sorrow and your turmoil with peace. I just believe that's for some of us tonight. Maybe that's all you're going to get tonight. Some of you came in here with anxiety, with worry. You're sad. You're, you're filled with sorrow, grief, whatever. And Jesus just wants to give you peace, right? I believe that could preach, but we're not going to preach that tonight. So just leave that there. But peace proclaims peace over them. He says, I've defeated death. And he even shows them his hands to prove it to them. Hey, like, yeah, there's a hole here. I rose from the grave. And then he tells them what's next. He says, just as I came to earth to seek and save the lost and to make salvation available through my death and resurrection, I'm now sending you out to proclaim my message of salvation and forgiveness to the whole world. And not only that, the Holy Spirit it's going to be with you to help you do this. And through your ministry, many people are going to be restored to God. That's what Jesus was saying here. In Matthew 28, Jesus is more explicit about the mission. Let's read this. You've heard this before if you've been in Chi Alpha. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus was sending them out to push the kingdom forward by making disciples who would obey him. So disciples are just students. They're people who imitate their master or their leader. So he's saying, go and make little Jesuses. Push the kingdom forward. The call that Jesus gave them that day still applies to us. He's saying to us, go, make disciples, baptize, teach. If you profess faith in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are sent. You have been told by Jesus to go. You can apply this to yourself. All of us are called to be sent. And again, this is the heart of Chi Alpha, and this is going to be the heart of this church. We want to be a people who live on mission, who know who sent us, who go on the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaim the gospel, the good news, right? Not bad news, good news, that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. Tonight, for the rest of our time, I want to say three things about our sent our sentness. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to say three things about it. The first thing comes from verse 21. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So the first thing is this. We are sent by Jesus. And if you go to sleep on me on this point, I'm going to be mad. Not actually mad. I'm going to, I'm going to be disappointed because this is a good point. I know it seems simple, but we're sent by Jesus. There's a lot here. If we're going to live as sent ones, if we're going to be a sent Chi Alpha, a sent church, we need to know who has done the sending. If you're sent by your mom, you might not have the courage. If you're sent by, I was going to say your dog. That doesn't make sense. I'm trying to be funny. But uh, when you're sent by someone other than God, then you're not going to have the courage to do what God's asked you to do. But if you know you're sent by the king, 
of the universe, the dude, I shouldn't call Jesus dude. You know, people called him a homeboy when I was growing up. Okay, the guy or the man or the God who, who defeated death, sent hell in the grave, when you know that he's the one who sent you, that gives you some courage. I think it has two implications for us, two specific implications. They'll be on the screen. The first is if you know you're sent by Jesus, you know that you need to go into the world as he did. You're going just as he did. So what did Jesus do when he came to the world? The passage we read earlier in Matthew 9 is a great blueprint. It shows us that he went and he proclaimed good news. He came to to take away sin. And just as he did that, we need to go and proclaim what Jesus has done. Jesus also healed sick people, okay? I think Jesus calls us to heal sick people. And not just sick physically, but sick emotionally, mentally. Jesus calls us to heal sick people. And no matter where he went, he casted out demons and he pushed back darkness. Now, I don't know if you'll come across a demon in your life. It could happen. But the point is you need to push back darkness in everything you do. You need to be a bright, shining light no matter where you go. And something that you don't see in this passage but is true of Jesus is although he ministered to crowds, he spent most of his time with a few. Specifically, he spent, or spent most of his time with 12 men and even more so three men his closest friends, and he discipled them. He taught them how to follow him so that they could go out and make disciples and so that their disciples could go out and make disciples. He poured himself into a few, and that's why we have small groups here at Kyle, but we believe in discipleship. We believe in, in someone pouring into three to five other people. This is what we need to do in the world. We need to go and we need to make disciples. We need to pour our lives into others. But there's something else that I think we need to know about Jesus sending us, an implication of Jesus sending us. The second thing is we need to know that if he sent us, then he is preparing the way in our kingdom efforts. He's going before us. He is blazing a trail for us to go and to push back the darkness. He is preparing hearts. He is blazing the trail. He wants us to lead people to him more than we do. Do you realize that? Like when you're reaching out to your friend, you're freaking out. Like, I've been sitting by them for three months in class, and I haven't told them about Jesus yet. And I know I'm supposed to, and I'm really nervous. Do you realize that Jesus loves that person more than you do? A lot more than you do? Jesus knows everything about that person. He can read their mind, okay? He wants them to be restored. If you know that he's preparing the way, then it takes the pressure off you. It's not about you convincing anyone to follow Jesus. It's, an, it's incredibly liberating to know that Jesus has sent us. He has ordained our mission. It's not on us. If I'm honest with you guys, telling people about Jesus and trying to get them to follow him is intimidating for me. It's easy for me in this setting. It's harder for me in one-on-one relationships. And the reason is, is I'm a polite person. My mom always taught me to say please and thank you, and I feel weird telling someone to change their life. I just do. I'm a preacher, and I'm telling you that. I'm being honest with you right now. I just want to say, you do you, I'll do me, okay? But Jesus has called me to do it, And he is going before me, so I don't need to have all the pressure on me. I don't need to try to twist someone's arm to follow him. Instead, I just say, hey, this is what he did in my life. And I just hope that he can do that in yours as well, because I love you. When you know that Jesus has sent you, it takes the pressure off. If you didn't know, Chi Alpha stands for Christ Ambassadors. I think Chi Alpha might be one of the worst names ever for any ministry. As I've been trying to think of a name for this church, I'm like, it's not going to be Chi Alpha. I tell you that because no one knows what it means, but it has a great meaning if you dig for it. It means Christ ambassadors, and we get this from 2 Corinthians 5.20. Paul says this. He was an apostle. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is someone who carries a message for another. So just like U.S. ambassadors carry the message of the president to other nations, followers of Christ are called to carry his message to the earth. We aren't Christ. We don't change hearts, but we are his ambassador. We're his message carrier, and we're just telling people, hey, this is the message of good news. If you respond to it, great. If you don't, I still love you, and you're still my friend, because I'm not just trying to convert you, right? That's what we're called to do. Verse 22 gives us another important principle about the fact that we're sent. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
The second point tonight is we are sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, we're going to go through the Trinity in the three points. So we got Jesus in the first one, Holy Spirit in the second one. You can just wait for the third one. But we're sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not a coincidence that just after Jesus tells them that they're sent out, that he says, hey, receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, just before Jesus leaves earth, I think it's a little bit after this conversation, he says this. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus knew that if his disciples were going to reach the world, they were going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to give them the boldness to proclaim the gospel even in the midst of opposition. If, if you think you face opposition in America, you don't know what the disciples went through. These disciples, when they were taking the gospel to people, they were being killed for their faith. They were being beat and stoned. There's one story in the book of Acts where Paul gets stoned, so that's like rocks thrown at you. He's like left for dead. He's outside the city, okay? They take him outside the city. They stone him. He gets back up and walks back into the city and proclaims the gospel some more. So until you get stoned and taken out to die, and left there and then come back in to the Cedar Falls to, to start preaching again, then uh, don't whine, okay? And that's for me, guys, because I whine sometimes. Oh, Jesus, I don't know if I can talk to this person. All right. Point is, we need the Holy Spirit to do stuff like that. And the other thing that's important to know, not only does the Holy Spirit give us boldness, but he's the one who changes hearts. So, again, it's not on you. In John 16, 8, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus is the one who convicts her or the Holy Spirit, but Jesus as well. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts hearts. He's the one who changes them. If we're going to do what God has called us to do, we have to remember that it's not on our strength. It's not on our power. It's on the Holy Spirit's power. In the Old Testament book called Zechariah, which I'm sure you've read a million times. I'm joking. It's okay. You guys can laugh. But the prophet gets at this idea. God is calling Israel, his chosen people, to rebuild the temple. Okay, so the temple had been torn down. They had been exiled from Jerusalem, and they'd come back, and God is saying, you guys need to rebuild the temple. And as they're, trying to, as they're trying to rebuild it, they're facing opposition. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the money. They're facing opposition from the government. And then God says this to the dude in charge in Zechariah 4, 6. He says, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I think this is especially, or it's especially relevant because they're building the temple. They're building the house of God. And he says, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by my Holy Spirit. Only through God's Spirit will the temple be rebuilt in the midst of opposition. And I just believe the same applies to us as we build Chi Alpha and as we build this church. Only by the Holy Spirit. I'm not charismatic enough to build a church. I'm not that good at it. Okay, so I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. If we're gonna do this thing, it's not by our might, it's not by our abilities, it's not by our strength, but by the Holy Spirit. In everything we do in Chi Alpha, in everything we do in this church, we need to rely wholly on the Holy Spirit to help us. We can't do what God has asked us to do if it's of any significance on our own strength. The Apostle Paul, the dude who got stoned and then got up and went back into the city, this guy was the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. He planted so many churches he planted churches all around the Middle East and into Europe. And he wrote most of the books in the New Testament. And this is what he said about his ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in what? In weakness. And in fear, he was scared. I'm scared too, so that makes me feel good. And much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. He did not rely on persuasion. He did not rely on his wisdom, but on the strength of God, on the power of God. 
He wasn't trying to twist anyone's arm. He wasn't trying to give a good explanation, but instead he was just trying to demonstrate the power of God. So let that be us. That's my prayer for us. When I think about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, I think of Lauren Schaff and Katie Bassett. Those are some great girls right there. And they lead a small group together. I think it's in Campbell. Maybe it's somewhere else. But hey, if you don't have a small group, Schindler, okay, go there. Or go to someone else's small group. They're all great. But point is, at the first small group of the year, there's only one girl there. You know, uh, she's the most faithful girl ever. Emma Fatino was there. And she was worth it, right? But the only one girl. And they were discouraged, but they just you know, kept praying. They kept stepping out in faith and biting people. And now their group has times by nine. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's, it's a lot, okay? It's more than quintupled because there's just one, and now there's like eight or nine of them there. But the thing is, they did not rely upon their own strength. I, I really believe they didn't. I believe that they sought the Lord, and the Lord helped them in their endeavors because God wants to help you when you're trying to push back darkness. And I saw them rely upon God, and God has done an amazing work in their small group. I pray that we would always be a people who don't rely upon our own strength or eloquence or wisdom. I pray we'd always kind of be a bunch of misfits who aren't that good at what we do, although we want to do things well. But the point is, we don't rely upon ourselves. And instead, we just pray and we ask God, please help us. We're going to do everything on our own strength that we can, but God, we know that you need to come through for us. Because the scripture says over and over again that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God's presence is like a magnet to the humble. It's like he can't get enough of humility. And I pray that we would always be humble before God and know, hey, we're not that good. Instead, we need your help. Please help us. All right, there's one more thing I think we're supposed to get from this passage. It's, it's in verse 23. It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. The fourth thing is we are sent to restore the lost to their father. We are sent to restore the lost to their father. As we are sent to our campus and this summer as we begin to step into this church plant and be sent to our community, we cannot forget what we're sent with. We're sent with the message of forgiveness. This message, again, is called the gospel. It's the good news. In verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples that they have the authority to forgive and to withhold forgiveness. This doesn't mean that they're actually the ones who forgive, okay? Only God can forgive. But it means that God was entrusting them with the message of forgiveness and that they were called to be a partner of God and go out and help people receive forgiveness. That's what they were called to do. And how are people forgiven? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because if you don't know that, that's like, like the key to being in right relationship with God, okay? So be listening to this. People are forgiven, of their sin by putting their trust in what Jesus has done for them. And the fact that he died on the cross, and on the cross, he paid our penalty for our sins. And not only that, he then went into a grave and came out of it. He defeated death. So we put our faith in that, in the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, we'll be forgiven. Peter says it like this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, by his wounds, you've been healed. So the only way we can be forgiven and come into right relationship with God is if we put our trust in what Jesus did and let his wounds heal us. That's the only way because all sin has a penalty. The penalty for sin is death and God's a good judge and he doesn't let penalties go unpaid. But because he loves us, he decided to let Jesus pay that penalty on our behalf. That is good news. And if that doesn't mess with you, then you need to go back to your prayer closet, back to Jesus and say, let that mess with me. I gotta be honest with you guys, right before this, I was driving here and the Lord just began to speak to me. I said this to the team that came to pray before service, but he said, hey, Daniel, when's the last time you repented of your sins? I was like, uh, it's been a minute. <laughs> and I just began to repent of some things that I've been sinning in. And I was just praying over Jesus. I said, Jesus, I'm pleading your blood right now. Okay, that's like an old church word. I'm pleading the blood over me. The blood of Jesus covered my sin. And it's not like I came back into right relationship with God. I'm a Christian, right? I better be a Christian if I'm a pastor, okay? But, uh, but it, I believe when we sin and we hurt God, right? And in any good relationship, you should make amends. Like if I hurt Emily, I can't just say, hopefully she forgets about it. 
I'm just going to go to bed. Hopefully she forgets. No, she remembers, and I remember too, usually. Uh, I do, do, yeah. So we, there has to be amends made. There's a penalty for our sin, and that penalty is death, but Jesus paid it. And I pray that that would always mess with us. I pray that that would be the message that everything in this ministry is based upon. Not anything else, but, but the message that Jesus came to save sinners. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, so this is right before the ambassador's verse. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them. That's a good word. Not counting their trespasses against them. That is a good word. Take that to the bank. God is not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So yeah, we love the first part. Yes, not holding my trespasses against me. But then when God says, hey, you got to go take that message out, we're like, oh, shoot. I don't know how to preach. <laughs> I was not going to say the S word if any of you thought that. But uh, I don't cuss. But once in a while when I stub my toe. Okay, we're going to cut that out of the audio. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's why I need forgiveness. Okay, but anyways. Don't think your pastor cusses, please. Like, once in a blue moon. I was a cusser in high school, so it, it still stays there sometimes. All right, back to the point. <laughs> Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That was the point, okay? <laughs> God's heart burns for the lost. <laughs> uh, he, he burns for those <laughs> who are not reconciled to him. Derek, on the other hand, my brother and the worship leader. He's, I don't think he's ever cussed in his life, all right? So he's holy. All right, so anyways. <laughs> so the gospel, the good news is the key to bringing the lost back to their father, okay? To reconcile, or to reconciling the lost sons and daughters of God back to him. God loves his lost ones. He loves them, and he wants to use us to carry that message to them. God wants us to proclaim the message of his good news until we die. It's a mandate on every Christian's life. So part of the reason we feel compelled to plant this church is, one, there's a lot of unchurched people in Cedar Falls, Waterloo. I'll explain more about that in a second. But, but the second thing is we know that church plants, reach un, or church plants reach unchurched people. In other words, church plants do a good job of reaching the lost who God dearly loves. The lost are God's priority, and that is my priority. That's our priority. Something you may not know is Waterloo Cedar Falls is a very post-Christian area. Okay, post-Christian means that Christianity was a dominant force in the past, but it's kind of becoming a forgotten thing. In 2017, Barna did a study of the most Bible-minded, the most Bible-minded cities in America in the least Bible-minded cities in America. So the most were like all the cities in the Bible Belt, okay? And the least, I think the first one was Albany in New York. The second one was Boston. And then the third one was Providence, Rhode Island. And then the fourth one was Waterloo-Cedar Rapids, which it's not one city. The fourth one was us. Okay, so we got like Albany, New York. That's the East Coast, right? Boston, that's the East Coast. Providence, that's the East Coast. And then what? In Iowa, we're the least Bible-minded. It was, like, really bad. It was, like, you know, the Bible Belt gets, like, 60% of people have read their Bible in the last week. For us, I think it was, like, 12% or something. You have to look at the study. Just, you know, Google it. But that messed with me when I saw that. I said, I live in an area that's one of the least Bible-minded places. And what am I doing about it? Well, I'm doing something about it, hopefully, through this. But a lot of you come from other places. I don't know if you know that. You're from small towns for the most part. Some of you are from Cedar Rapids and Des Moines. But you're not from here for the most part. I think God wants to use you to change those statistics. Something else you may not know is 61% of people who live in this area do not go to church. It could be worse, right? But that's not okay with me. 61% of people, that is 61,000 people in Cedar Falls, Waterloo who don't go to church on Sundays. It's not that you have to go to church to be a Christian, but it's really hard to be a Christian if you don't go to church. And I just believe that some of those 61,000 would find a home in Sent Church. And I want to say, too, 
The other churches in our area are doing an amazing job, doing an incredible job. I'm friends with many of the pastors. So this isn't anything against any other church. But I just think we need a lot more churches. So in five years, if another church comes along, yeah, let's go, baby. Bless them, right? Because we need more churches to reach these 61,000 people. I don't think we can fit 61,000 people in Lang Auditorium. And this is a big auditorium, right? So we need a lot of churches to reach these people. All right. The point is, we believe that Jesus is asking us to be a part of this solution. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three different parables. The parable of the lost coin. If you were at Winter Conference, you heard these parables. The, winter, the parable of the lost sons and the parable of the lost sheep. And in these parables, he shows that his heart, again, burns for the lost ones. It's like someone looking for their keys. Like Emily loses her keys sometimes, and so do I. So not just you. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I lose my keys sometimes. Let's just change that story. I lose my keys all the time, okay? And I freak out. I'm running through the house. Like that heart when it's like, where are my keys? I'm going to freak out if I can't find them. That's God's heart for those 61,000 people. And that's why we want to be a part of the solution. All right, so you may be wondering some different things. Like, okay, what does this look like? I'm glad you asked. Mm-hmm. All right, so here are some things I, I want to encourage you with. Okay, so how can you get involved with this? The first thing is start praying. Pray. Come on, that's the most important thing. I'm not trying to just be the spiritual dude, but seriously, we need to pray. Satan does not want us to plant this church. Satan hates church plants. So start praying every single day, even if you're not going to come to the church. Because you love us, pray and say, God, help them. All right, pray every single day. The second thing is if you feel compelled, join the launch team. Okay, so the launch team is the group of people who decide they're going to be a part of the church before it even starts. And I believe that God wants to have a lot of you be a part of the launch team. We're praying specifically for 150 people to be on our launch team. So maybe Chi Alpha can provide like 50 to 100 of those people, and we need to find more people in the community. And please know that if you already have a church, it's more than okay to stay at your church. Okay, keep serving at your church. I love the churches in this area. Stay there. But if God is calling you to be a part of, the, or to be a part of this launch team, you need to obey his call. Okay, so I pray that you would do that if God's asking you to do that. And if you do go to a church in that area and you're going to leave, you need to talk to your pastor. Okay, that's just, like, that's what adults do. Okay, we talk to people. We don't just disappear. Okay, the third thing is we're going to start having some parties. Okay, and some of you like to party. Like McDonald's tonight, it's going to get wild. There's going to be some cones flying in the air, some French fries being thrown around. No, don't do that. But, but come to the interest parties. Okay, so interest parties are just times we have where we can cast vision for the church. We invite people from the community. There's always going to be free food there, so come for that. There's going to be a little bit of worship. I'll preach a little bit, and there'll be time to kind of hang out with each other. Okay, so those will probably start in April. I don't know for sure, but that's what I'm shooting for. So hopefully we'll have at least one before the semester's over. But if you feel so compelled, stay here this summer and be part of the interest parties. The fourth thing is invite people you know in your community or in this community. Okay, so if you work at Target or you're out in the community, whatever, invite people. Now you don't have an excuse not to invite older people and not just college students, right? Invite people in the community to come to these parties, to come to the interest parties, but also to come to the church. All right, so what does this mean for Chi Alpha? It's an important question. The band can come up now. Um, So what this means is my role is going to decrease because I'm not a superhuman, okay? So for the next several months, I'm slowly going to have less and less of of a role in Chi Alpha, and when the church launches, that will pretty much be complete, that transition. I work full-time for the church. So I'm going to move from being the organizational leader of Chi Alpha to just being a pastor of a church that hopefully you come to. I'm praying you come to. So I'll still be your pastor. I'm just not going to be the boss of our staff in Chi Alpha. Okay? That's, main, that's the main difference. I'll still be your pastor, but just in a different way on Sundays. I'll still be around Chi Alpha too. But if you're wondering who's going to take my place, that's the beautiful thing when you have a team. You don't have to, like, pray, God, send someone from, like, 300 miles away to move here. Instead, we're just going to have this guy take over, okay? So Derek, let's give him a clap. So, 
And that's why I had the band come, so he'd be standing up here. We still got a little bit left. But uh, so Derek will you know, slowly be stepping more and more into this and, and become the primary leader of Chi Alpha. So uh, the interns will also have increased roles as some of them feel called to come on staff. And I want to say, too, just an, another important thing to know. Maybe you're wondering, what about Upper Iowa? What about Hawkeye? We're still going to do ministry on those campuses. It'll just look different. Derek can't do you and I and Upper Iowa. If you didn't know, he drives to Fayette every week and does Upper Iowa, Chi Alpha. This guy's crazy. He's out like every night of the week trying to minister to people. So he won't be doing that, but someone else on our team will. Okay, so we're still going to be doing that. All right. So that's what you need to know. If you have any other questions, I'm an open book, all right? So you can come talk to me anytime, ask me questions, whatever. Uh, yeah, come talk to me. But the main idea tonight is this. Jesus has sent us to help our friends be restored to him. This is the heart of Jesus. It's, it's never gonna stop being his heart. He's never gonna want us to be a bless me club where we just hang out with each other. Jesus is always going to be about the lost. His priority is always going to be the lost. And back in 2011, when I came back into right relationship with Jesus, I told him, I said, Jesus, if your love is really this good, then I wanna give my life to helping other people experience it. And I pray that you would have that same encounter with Jesus, that if you don't know that Jesus loves you, if you don't know that he has like given everything for you, I pray that you would first experience that love tonight. Okay, so first you need to experience it. You need to experience what it feels like to be a lost son or daughter and to have Jesus chase you down and bring you home. Okay, so I pray that you would experience that love. There's nothing like it. And once you do, I pray that you'd be so compelled to say, I want to give my life to helping other people experience that love. If you wonder what's the purpose of life, that's the purpose, to help people know their Father in heaven, to help people come back home. That is the purpose of your life. You may be an accountant or a teacher or a missionary, whatever. It doesn't matter what you do in terms of an occupation, but no matter what you do, that's the purpose, to help people know that their Father in heaven loves them and wants relationship with them. Because God's heart burns for the lost. God's heart hurts for the lost. He suffers when there's lost people. And, and he wants you to help alleviate his suffering. So some of you came in tonight and you already have relationship with Jesus. You're his disciple. I just pray that you would know that he sent you. He sent you in his spirit is empowering you to push back the darkness no matter where you are. Jesus has called you to go throughout villages and cities and towns and to proclaim his message of forgiveness and to heal sick people, to cast out demons. He's called you to that. As we look towards this, our church plan, some of you are going to be founding members. Some of, or for some of you, you will be the a foundational piece of this church in 20, 30, 40 years. I don't think anyone will probably probably know you at that point, but you'll be like one of those first pieces that help build this church. Some of you are called into that. I know you are. I just know that. But there's others that aren't, and that's okay. I want to say that again. I think it's the third time. That's okay. Okay, so Chi Alpha can still be your home because Chi Alpha is always going to exist for the campus. Okay, so just change it to for the one, for the campus, for the world, right? Chi Alpha is always going to exist for the campus. So you can be a part of this and go to any church you want. But for those of you who are called to be part of the church, I pray that you count the cost right now because planting a church is hard work and God is going to call you to give of yourself to see it happen. And I pray that you would say that Jesus is so beautiful that he's worth it. He's worth me giving up my time and my resources and my energy to help get this thing started. And there's others who walked in here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And just as I talked about the lost coming home, I pray that you would see Jesus running at you tonight saying, I want relationship with you. I want you. My heart hurts for you. My heart burns for you. I want you to come back into relationship with me. I pray that you would just get a visual of, of what Jesus did for you on the cross, how he gave his life. He was brutally killed for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. And I pray that you would put all your trust in that, that you would say, this Jesus deserves my trust. I'm putting all my weight in him. I'm leaning on him. He's my king. He's my Lord. He's my God. I'm giving everything for him. And when you do that, Jesus brings you into eternal life. And forever and ever and ever, you get to experience intimacy and relationship with God. There's nothing better. I pray tonight that you would put your weight into Jesus. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to pray.
there's two ways to respond tonight. If you bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to kind of just ask Jesus to speak to us right now. Just say it in your heart to him. Say, Jesus, speak to me. Yeah, Jesus, we just ask you to speak to each of us right now. We just want to have a moment with you. Show us your dream, God. Show us your dream for the lost. God, show us your dream for this city, for this campus. way to respond tonight is if you're honest and you would say that, hey, I'm a lost one. I don't have a right relationship with God. If that's you, if you just realize tonight, I don't have a right relationship with God and you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, if you want to make him your king and make him your Lord, I'm going to count to three and when I do, I just want you to slip up your hand to heaven and say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, save me from myself. Save me from my sins. And when you do that, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you white as snow. Okay, so one, two, three. Slip my ball across this room. See that hand? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? All right, so I'm going to just pray for you. It's a simple prayer of trust and of putting our weight into Jesus. Jesus, right now, we just ask you to forgive us of our sins, God. Even if we're already a Christian, God, we ask you to cleanse us and to make us white as snow. God, if we've hurt you, if we've offended you, God, we just repent of that right now. We put all of our weight in you, Jesus. We say, tonight we say, you're our hope. Our hope is built on nothing else than you, God. We're putting our hope in you. And tonight, God, we ask you to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sins, to forgive us, Jesus. All right, the second way to respond tonight is this. It's if you sense that Jesus is calling you to be a sent one. I pray that right now that you just lift your hand up to him and say, Jesus, I'll go. I'll go wherever you send me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be your sent one no matter where I'm going. If I'm going to a class or going to work or going to the bathroom and I run into someone on the way, I'm going to be a sent one, Jesus. Jesus, I pray that this would be a sent community, God. Not a community that just sits and holds back the floor, but instead, God, we go out and kick back the gates of hell. Come on, Jesus, do it. God, send us out to our campus. Send us out to our city. Send us to our families. God, I pray that every person in this room will be a bringer of light. God, I pray that every time we walk into a dark room that a burst of light will come in. Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to be your ambassadors. God, we are your ambassadors making an appeal with the world to be reconciled to you. All right, Jesus, we love you so much. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. All right, let's worship Jesus one more time.